Spring in Seattle, it's a little soggy and the wind still kicks up a bit. But the ever-present drizzle is mere background music for many Seattleites because April means the mariners come out of hibernation, something Ingrid Line could relate to. At 40, Ingrid was a newly divorced mom of three young girls who had recently stepped back into the dating scene. And on April 8, 2016, Ingrid, I'm sure, was feeling the feels. She was out on the town. Her ex-husband had the girls overnight, and she was enjoying that great American pastime, the home opener at Safeco Field. But she wasn't alone, sitting amongst a sea of fans in the open-air arena, no. Ingrid was sharing the backdrop of the beautiful Seattle skyline on a chilly night with a new friend, until those bright lights at a big city game would recede into the background. The next morning, when Ingrid's ex brought the girls home after their sleepover, Ingrid, a fit nurse who prioritized her children above all else, was nowhere to be found. That is until a gruesome recovery that would put a city on high alert. But approximately uh, 9.45 this morning, sanitation workers, uh, while collecting the receptacles, found a uh, receptacle that contained what appeared to be an, an uh, by all accounts, is human remains. Body parts that would ultimately lead investigators back to the scene of the crime. I noticed in one of the bathrooms, it smells like bleach, like this has just been cleaned up. I think that they found evidence in the bathroom that that was where she had probably been dismembered. A senseless and gruesome crime, a community on edge as investigators tracked down a killer. What happened to Ingrid Line and why? I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the scene of the crime. Wow, Carolyn, dismembered. I just, I don't even know how someone could do that. I mean, not to say that I can understand murder, but dismembering is a whole other level of crime. And I think that that was the consensus. You know, Kim, as you remember, this was a huge case in Seattle. And the days after Ingrid went missing, the story began to unravel. And what happened to Ingrid Line, a woman who had touched so many lives? She was a beloved nurse at Swedish Hospital, very well respected, and an amazing mother to three girls. And it just rocked not only the community, but the nation. I pulled from a lot of different sources, including the Associated Press. Q13 did an amazing job covering this and Crime Watch Daily because I wanted to give listeners a real sense of the place and the time and what it was like during this time in 2016. But Kim, let's start at the beginning, at the scene of the crime. April 9th, 2016 started out just like any other Saturday in the Renton Highlands neighborhood, a suburb of Seattle, where Ingrid lived in a single-story home with her three daughters. That morning, on the books, Ingrid's ex-husband would drop off their 12, 10, and 7-year-old daughters, and it was around 11.30, and Ingrid didn't answer the door. That's when alarm bells began to go off when she didn't answer his phone calls either. Her 2015 Highlander wasn't there either. This wasn't like Ingrid. So Phil frantically reached out to Ingrid's mom, who immediately came to the house, opened the door with her spare key, and that house was quiet. Ingrid's purse and phone were on the counter. No Ingrid. So they immediately called the Renton police. 
And on Ingrid's computer, they saw a receipt for a Mariners game that Friday night. Officer Elliott from the Renton PD spoke to a friend of Ingrid's who said she'd received a text at 1035 the night before the Friday night. And she said Ingrid said she was on a date. Ingrid's mom didn't (laughs) waste a, a minute. She went on the offensive. She remembered that she had access to her daughter's cell phone records because they shared a cell phone plan. And according to recent activity on Ingrid's phone, a recurring number kept coming up. Meantime, Ingrid's sister did an internet search on that number and discovered a Facebook account for a man named John Charlton. So Ingrid's mom sent Charlton a text and he replied. He said, my name is John. I thought she was with her kids today. Ingrid's mom responded, When did you see her last? She's not here. Her phone is here and driver's license and purse, but she's not. Please respond. I've called 911. Charlton responds, 911 question mark. What's going on? We went to the Mariners game last night, but we didn't stay the night together because she has her kids today. Not sure what she has told you about me and our relationship. Ingrid's mom says, quote, she's missing. What time did you see her last? A police officer needs to speak to you as you may be the last person who saw her. Please call. And she puts the telephone number of the police officer. And Charlton went dark after that. But of course, Ingrid's mom kept texting and she wants answers. Can you please call me? I know your name is John Charlton. So please call me. So she's basically like, I know who you are. You need to respond. Don't make me come find you because I am a mother who is determined to find my child. Now, as you're describing it, it sounds like she is a a family person, right? She's got three kids. Very much so. She's a mother, too. She's got a mom and a sister who live close by. Sounds like she keeps in touch with and, you know, they have a spare key to her house. Yes. But they didn't know that she was dating this guy. I think that there's a lot about this relationship that some people knew about, but there was a lot that maybe people didn't know about. So it makes me wonder if she was either embarrassed of him or if he was somebody that she didn't really see herself with for the long term, if maybe that's why she didn't. Because why else would you not tell somebody that you're close to your sister, your mother about the guy you're dating? Well, and I think those were the questions that were on everybody's mind. Where was she? We know they're piecing it together. This family is doing an amazing job of piecing it together. But as they're talking to John, this person who presumably was could have been the last person to see her, and he's not really he's no longer responding. It's so heartbreaking. Her last text to him, this mother's last text to the person who may be the last person to see her daughter. Please, John, did Ingrid say anything about someone coming to see her after you separated from her last night? We can't find her car. As I said, her phone and ID and purse are at her house, but she and her car are gone without a trace. Any help would be appreciated. We are desperate. She would never just go off and leave her family. So I don't know, as I read that and as I've been researching this, that final message to this to this Charlton really like reminded me. I don't know if you've ever lost your child for oh, just yeah. for just <laughs> you know, a minute or five minutes in a in a store. And even though Ingrid is 40 years old, that desperation, it just re- took me there when I, I just remember when I lost my daughter for, for, it just felt like an eternity. It was probably a couple minutes, but I had security. The gates were coming down. You know, <laughs> we were at a retail shopping center. And it's just that, that feeling, you know, any mother or parent can relate to that. Yeah. And I always tell my kids, like, I don't really, uh, you know, I don't monitor every thing that they do. 
but I do monitor where they are. Like, that's the one thing I want to know. I want to know where you are, because if you disappear on me or if I get a weird hang up call of panic or something like that, like, I just want to know where you are. So if something happens, I can find you and I can help you or get you out of that situation or whatever. So it's like the most basic information as a mom to keep me sane and mm-hmm. and know that my kids are going to be okay. It's just at least if I know where they are. Mm-hmm. So a frightening picture began to emerge here. Ingrid had met John through an online dating site. And judging by John's Facebook profile pic, he was a clean-cut-looking guy, bright eyes. He appeared in the photographs, carefree, happy-go-lucky, 37-year-old. And that Friday evening wasn't their first date. So all of this was in play in Renton. The missing person report had been filed, and the Renton police were taking it very seriously. And it just shows what a family-oriented person Ingrid truly was because, I mean, the second the ex-husband showed up, she wasn't there. She should have been there. This was so unlike her, and they took it very seriously. You know, we hear that. We have to wait 24 hours. Well, this is absolutely nothing like that. The family is on it with the phone and trying to do everything they can to figure out what happened. So separately, and this is just roughly three miles away from Safeco Field, a horrific discovery had been made at around 4.30 p.m. This is Saturday that, you know, so Saturday morning, ex-husband tries to drop him off. This is not very many hours later. And this horrific discovery, a homeowner called 911 to report he'd found three plastic garbage bags inside his recycling bin, and he believed they contained parts of a human body. Mm. A medical examiner was called and determined that three bags contained a left arm from mid-humerus to hand, a right leg from the lower femur to the foot, And a human head that showed no signs of decomposition and the facial features were intact and distinctive. And my mind immediately goes to where's the rest of it? Well, and make an identification. Right. I mean, fortunately, they had. They. It it, it sounds like a good enough. They had. (laughs) That sounds so terrible. You have to be so careful because (sighs) in telling the story, it's like you want her story to be heard of, of what she went through. But on the other hand, it's just really difficult to talk about because yeah. it sounds of so what crass. she went to. Yeah. So you can imagine, I mean, to hear the 911 call. reporting. I could be wrong, but it, it looks like a foot. Within hours, Seattle police detectives made the connection that Renton police were investigating a missing person. An examination of Ingrid's driver's license photograph led them to believe that the victim was Ingrid. Now, this was the the missing person case was being handled by Renton. Seattle police were handling the dismembered body. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of surprised they connected the dots that quickly. Well, it's just it's so great because and I'll explain more about this, but it was after midnight when Seattle detectives got a search warrant for Ingrid's home. Now, I talked to Detective Robert Onishi with the Renton Police Department about getting that call, because at this point, you know, Renton is still thinking it is a missing person. On April 9th of 2016, that evening, we were actually doing an auto theft emphasis around Renton. We'd already chased a couple of cars that night. So around midnight, we were in kind of a lull, and I was about to get some coffee because it's midnight, when uh, I became aware that our patrol folks were headed out to an address in the Renton Highlands on Camas Avenue Northeast um, because Seattle PD had requested their presence there. And it turned out that this was with regards to a Seattle investigation that started off when they started to find 
parts of human body and I think recycling your yard waste containers around Seattle, when they contacted us, we found that we had actually taken a missing person report on Ingrid earlier in the day. So they hadn't connected that Renton didn't know about the body parts until around midnight. And so now I have to step back for one second. How many different receptacles did they find parts in? Multiple. But at this point, they had found the one discovery. And then how quickly were they able to identify the victim because they did that quickly and that's it's amazing by, by midnight because they could look at her driver's license they were you know they but they, they didn't saw... have her license i mean you have her face mm-hmm. but you have to have something to compare that to to identify it like how did they figure out what to compare it to well according to police re- the the police report and the probable cause documents they ba- they made that connection they got that tip that there was a missing woman in Renton i mean the the turnaround time on this was incredible okay and police referred to the remains as fresh and so they were able to i know that sounds so difficult to hear here but that's that's literally what they said so they were able to Look at that missing person. So, you know, I don't know that they did this for a fact, but one can imagine that they said, "Okay, let's look at missing people in the community." Right. And then she came up, and they compared because that missing person report had been filed, and you know they're going to use her license in that missing person. If you've seen this person, this is the person we're looking for. Right. And they connected those dots very quickly. I believe the initial report, yeah, came from Ingrid's mother, and actually it started off by uh, Ingrid's ex-husband, who had gone to. Um, drop off their daughters uh, at the house and had not been able to locate Ingrid, which was unusual behavior. She was apparently very reliable as far as her child custodies. So I added that in because what's extraordinary about this case is the level of professionalism and cooperation between law enforcement. So many of these cases are bungled Mm -hmm. because police won't share information or even inadvertently tank a case because of these turf wars. Not this case, even though Renton police were already working that missing person. And technically, it was looking like Ingrid's home could be a potential crime scene. SPD had gotten that search warrant. Renton still took a support position. If we had known what the circumstance was or had, once we started to dig into it, found out what the circumstance was and that this murder actually occurred in Renton, we probably would have taken it. And actually, if Seattle had asked us, we would have taken it anyway. However, by that time, when we talked to the Seattle detective sergeant who was there, his take on it was, hey, we've already gotten so far into this. We'll go ahead and take primary on this case. They'd actually already sought a search warrant for the house there. The only assistance they requested from us was perimeter security. And they, because they had a limited number of people there at the time, um, few detectives and then their crime scene response, essentially CSI team, they asked that we help them make entry to the house. So we were able to jimmy a back door, get into the house. We did the actual physical clearance of the house for security purposes. So just to make sure there was nobody lurking inside. So the CSI team, immediately their hackles were raised when they saw a nearly empty box of plastic garbage bags that appeared identical in color and size to the bags that contained the dismembered body parts that had been found. And in that bathroom that Detective Onishi had said smelled strongly of bleach, leaning against the wall between the sink and the bathtub was a 15-inch wood saw. CSI would later remove the plumbing from beneath the bathtub, and they found flesh and blood. Now, Charlton, remember the the date that could have been with Ingrid, 
never contacted the police, although Ingrid's mother asked him to. Even so, detectives were able to track him down in Lake Stevens, which is about 45 minutes north of Seattle. And on Monday, April 11th, so it's like this is happening really Just fast. Just over the weekend. Yeah. They brought him into questioning. And according to court records I obtained, SPD detectives described Charlton's demeanor during the interview as being very nonchalant. The Seattle Police Department released that interview, and here are bits of it from Crime Watch Daily. What is an address for you, John? I'm homeless. Are you? Where are you staying right now? In the streets. Where do you get your mail at? My mail? you get mail, like you have a P.O. box? Or? What is this all about? It, we're looking into what happened to Ingrid, as you're aware she's missing. Yes. And we know that you knew her. What's your relationship with her? Have you been dating her consistently since you met, or...? I would say, I guess, yeah. So he's from Lake Stevens, but he's actually homeless. He has a girlfriend, ex-girlfriend that he stays with in Lake Stevens okay. a couple of days a week, but he is homeless. And to your question earlier, like, why why could she have not told her family what's going on? We don't know if, if that's the reason because, you know. Maybe she was a little embarrassed of the person that she was dating. And that's, it's like when you watch this video, I mean, he just looks like this clean-cut guy. And not to say that there's a look to what a homeless person looks like, because we know that is absolutely not not true. But it's like, we don't know what's going on. Why is he home? I mean, if he's such a clean-cut, seems like such a typical nice guy, what's going on? Why is he homeless? Yeah. I mean, there's so many so questions. There's so many, there's so many questions that, that, we don't, that we don't know. But what we do know is that he said he'd been in a relationship with Ingrid for about a month after they met at an online dating site. Did she let you stay at her place, or did you, were you staying elsewhere? She let me stay there sometimes. How often were you guys seeing one another, like over the last couple weeks? A couple times a week, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things did you guys like to do together? Just hang out. Uh, adult stuff, I guess you could say. And they also questioned him about the night before Ingrid went missing. Went to her house and went to the game. And we started drinking a lot. How much had you had, you had to drink at that point at the stadium? Well, we drank before that at the beer garden across the street. So were you feeling intoxicated at that point or just a little buzzed? Or? I was intoxicated. What's the last memory you have of contact with Ingrid? Like, what's the last thing you remember? Do you remember her driving you downtown? I, I believe I sent her a message at the moment. I knew she had her kids the next day, so I wasn't going to... She didn't want me to meet her kids, ever. Or not ever, but she just didn't want me to meet her kids. Do you know why? Is that something like for anybody she dates, or was it something about you? (laughs) So when you were back at her place and you had sex, and I apologize for asking this, but was it in the... I think we did. Was it in the bedroom or somewhere else? I think we did. You think you did? You don't remember it? I don't. I mean, we usually... Yeah, I'm just assuming that we did. Okay. So was there a reason that you didn't spend the night that night? I don't know. I was drunk. Maybe I wanted to go get a candy bar or something. I don't know. So after this line of questioning, Charlton asked for an attorney because he says the questions are getting too complicated or a bit complicated. And what's interesting, Kim, is is when you watch the video, Charlton's demeanor is so casual. And then after he asks for an attorney, the detectives leave the inter- interview room and he literally takes off his jacket 
rolls it up into a makeshift pillow and lays down on the floor to take a nap. I mean, it's just so I can kind of see why he would do that, which may be a little bizarre. But I know for me personally, when I have really big emotional trauma, stress, I just want to go to sleep. I have to turn it off. And the only way I can turn it off is to go to sleep. That's so, so interesting because I, I am the exact opposite. I'm like, see, <laughs> well, I'm, that's it. It's like if I don't go to sleep, then I stay keyed up and I can't calm down and I'm frantic and whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of like I have to completely shut it off. There's no way for me to slowly calm down and like come back to a normal mood. I have to just conk out and kind of reset my brain. Yeah. In order to like have a coherent thought. Really? Yeah. So I, I, even though it seems odd and he seems like he's being pretty chill and collected and everything, mm-hmm. I could see where, you know, when I'm super stressed out, I, I may seem like I'm a little bit out of it because I'm so in my head. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wanted to include this because what we're hearing so far, she went on this online date and then what happened? And it's like, then you look at, You know, it conjures a bunch of images into your mind, like, who was this guy? What was this thing? And it's like, he just looks like a regular guy. And looks are deceiving, as we've said so many times before. Another thing that's interesting about this is that police are hearing that he was too drunk to remember what happened. And I wanted to get Detective Onishi's thoughts on the blackout drunk claim. Was he saying that as a way to outsmart law enforcement? Sometimes you have to kind of take those statements from somebody about their mental state or about what they remember about what their intent was with a certain degree of skepticism not to say that that wasn't but we have no way to prove whether it was or wasn't at this point in time Um, all we have is a statement from somebody which is admittedly a bit self-serving about that so the question comes up yeah later on are you somehow attempting to cover your tracks for some horrible accident or was this, you know, that degree of planning about things. I haven't been in such a situation. I don't think I ever will be in such a situation. But if you were to have a situation where you found yourself suddenly waking up and realizing something terrible had happened, would your instinct then be to make a very methodical attempt to hide that entire occurrence from having happened and distance yourself? I mean, you would think that maybe for most of us, the first instinct would either be scream and call somebody and tell them you didn't know what happened or just run. How many people would have the presence of mind in that situation and then kind of shift gears and suddenly make some sort of a methodical effort to hide the fact that this ever occurred at all? Um, and that would be, you know, again, I, I can't tell you I have not been there, yeah. but that would be one of my points of skepticism is, you know, is that really how you would react if this had happened and was a, you know, horrible, out of character, never happened before kind of an occurrence? Don't know. I want to push back on that a little bit, though, because even though he did apparently or somebody did, you know, use bleach and clean up and whatever, but they left the stall next to the bathtub. Yeah, there's a lot. Or, of, and, know, and the bags there, too. Th- yeah, they took the, the bags but left the box of bags in the home. I mean, yeah, he did try to clean up, but I don't think it's as planned and methodical as what the detective was describing. I think that when you think about the actual crime of dismembering somebody, I mean, that takes 
I don't even that, know what that takes. That, that, yeah, it certainly isn't someone who's blackout drunk. I can tell you that, right? But you it know? could be. So I was really curious about this, actually. Um, so I was looking up what what it is to be black. I've never been blackout drunk I haven't myself. either. I mean, yeah. I've been pretty drunk. Yeah, to yeah. Where, same, same. Yeah, but I've never been blackout drunk. So I was curious about this. And they were saying, this is in Psychology Today, that there's a huge difference between blacking out and passing out. So when you pass out, you know, you're you're dead to the world, right? You're like asleep. Yeah. When you black out, you're still completely able to to carry on as a human and as if you're awake and you are you are awake and you're, you know, cognizant of everything that's happening around you. But what happens is the alcohol crosses the blood brain barrier and attaches to your hippocampus. So you're not able to create long term memories. So in the moment, you do know what's happening. But you don't remember later on because your brain never stores that information. Uh, Do you know how you get passes that threshold yeah, because there like, was actually part of the article where they talk about wow how much liquor does it take yeah and they basically gave a percentage of and I, I can't find it at the moment but it's something like once your blood alcohol level reaches like 20 percent or there's a percentage wow. and once it reaches that percentage is when it crosses the blood brain barrier and when you can get those blackout drunk situations so is it You've passed the passed out stage and then you go into the blackout drunk stage? Or so is you it don't before... necessarily go to the pass out stage at all. Wow. Yeah, you just go to blackout drunk. I wonder if there's if more people are more susceptible to it than than other people to get into a blackout stage. I mean, it's like, oh no, yeah. Having other... not experienced it, it's like I it's hard to believe that when you're so drunk that you could have the ability to just I don't know. The other thing I thought was really interesting, uh, this is an article in Healthline from a doctor, Deborah Weatherspoon, and she writes that the hippocampus is found deep within the brain. It's critical to forming memories. It cannot develop long-term alcohol tolerance. So even though your body might develop alcohol tolerance, so you can drink or it takes more for you to be able to drink and really feel it. So, you know, when people become lifelong drunks, they can have several drinks without any effect because they've developed this tolerance to it. But she said because of that blood brain barrier, the hippocampus does not, no matter how much you drink, it's never going to develop a tolerance for it. So you will actually more easily become blackout drunk if you're a regular alcoholic. Yes. Because you will naturally need more alcohol to get that, you know, drunken high that you're looking for. Yeah. So your tolerance level is way, way higher. So it's, so it's that weird makes because it's the opposite of, you know, the more you drink, the more you're tolerant to it. But at the same time, the more you drink, the more likely you are to be blackout drunk. I'm glad for the explanation. I still think that it's just in this story and as we hear more, it, it, it feels like such a cop out. Because even though Charlton's demeanor was calm as he was uh, being interrogated, that Monday they photographed abrasions to his lip and face and small scratches on his chest. Detectives went to see the ex-girlfriend that Charlton said that he'd been staying with the Saturday and Sunday night. And the ex confirmed that Charlton had spent the last two days with her. She described him as, quote, a mean drunk. She explained that they had plans for him to help her with yard work that Saturday morning, but that he had texted her saying something had come up. He eventually did show up at the bus station at 1030 at night with a busted lip, telling her that he'd been robbed, but she noted that he still had his wallet. (laughs) 
Now, this guy's not a genius. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there's I mean, there's holes in the story. There's holes in there's the holes story. There's holes in his memory, yeah. and there's holes in the story. Yeah, exactly. And so Monday night, they found Ingrid's vehicle parked in Seattle. And they also discovered that Charlton had a pretty significant criminal history, which included crimes in six states, convictions for aggravated robbery, felony theft, grand theft of a motor vehicle, assault, third-degree larceny, and arrests for battery. I'm beginning to think that anyone who's dating these dates needs to do a criminal background check on whoever they go out with. Well, it's hard to, again, like, I, I think about Ingrid, and it's like, you know, so many people are dating online, and I know that's not something you or I have done, because we've both been married for a long time, and I talked to Robert and uh, Detective Onishi, and what do you do? You know, everybody's dating online. I'm sure most people aren't doing background is, checks. They, I feel like they should. I mean, right? You're online. Why can't you just have it be part of the sign up? That, yeah, <laughs> or that's maybe part of you the could service. be like that's verified, <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah. some people, like if they do the background check, they get that extra little check mark by their name that they're verified. Yeah. Not a crazy psycho. Yeah. I mean, I think it's helpful. But as we know, too, as we've been doing the podcast, you know, a lot of people fly under the radar that's and true. don't have a criminal history. And so it's hard to figure out. It's hard to wrap your head around in this because there, it's not like there were warning signs, you know, that she could have seen per se. You know, I, I just I don't know. And that really wasn't all. According to the Associated Press in 2006, Charlton's father had requested a restraining order against him. His parents, I guess, came home to find him drunk in their Thurston County home, where he allegedly acted physically threatening and verbally violent. Now, Charlton's dad said that he removed the movie Hannibal, you know, the serial uh, killer Hannibal, yeah. that movie from a shelf, set it in front of his mom and told her she should watch this and beware. His parents further alleged in this restraining order that Charlton has been known to hold grudges for several years and exposes frustrations when under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and that these frustrations he displays can be very intimidating and cause fear of violence. I mean, it sounds like he's got all the hallmarks of a killer from when he was pretty young. I mean, what was his childhood like? I It didn't go into detail, but again, it's like you have this person when they're not under the influence and then you have this other person. It's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So three days after Ingrid was murdered, her family released this statement. This weekend, a light went out of our lives forever. Ingrid, beloved mother, daughter, sister, and friend, was taken from us for reasons we still cannot comprehend. Our hearts are broken and can never be fully mended. But out of our grief, hope still springs, as does our appreciation. Words cannot express our gratitude to our communities near and far for banding together and expressing their support and ultimately their love. For this, we will be forever grateful. From the bottom of our hearts, we all thank you. We would also like to express our appreciation to the Renton and Seattle Police Departments as they work tirelessly to provide all of us the truth around what exactly happened to our beloved Ingrid. They have been there for our family providing answers, support, and compassion, even feeding the girls cats when we needed. Oh, I mean, I know, Gosh. I know. It's just... And it's, then I think about those three little girls... Who had their mom taken. And, uh, but this, Kim, was far from over. Over the next 10 days, body parts 
on three separate occasions were discovered in those same trash bags at a recycling center. And Q13 spoke to sanitation workers. She called me and told me they found a human leg. And then she called me again and told me that they found a hand and in a bag with more body parts. They don't bring cops down here and, and corners down here with stretchers when it's, when it's not the... So these gruesome discoveries had the community on edge. What happened to Ingrid? Why? It was just all so wrong. A mother of three steps a toe into the dating world, and she meets with this fate. There was just this feeling of disbelief at such a senseless act. So that Monday, John Charlton was charged with first-degree murder and theft of a motor vehicle. Bail was set at $2 million. At first, Charlton pled not guilty, but changed his plea to guilty at a court hearing in October 2017. You know, here's Deputy Prosecutor Jeff Baird and the presiding judge regarding that plea. Your statement reads, early morning on April 9, 2016, with premeditated intent to cause the death of Ingrid Line, I manually strangled Ingrid Line for several minutes until she was dead. Is that your statement? Yes. Is it true? Yes, to the charge of murder in the first degree, what is your plea? Guilty, Your Honor. To the charge of theft of a motor vehicle, what is your plea? Guilty, Your Honor. We always ask the question, why? Did he ever explain why? At his sentencing, we will get more to okay. that. But Prosecutor Baird said they negotiated the plea to spare the family an agonizing trial. All have very mixed feelings about it. Um, in one sense, of course, it spared them anguish of a very graphic and gruesome trial. It may be that the, the details of the dismemberment will come out later, but this wasn't the day for that. And some of those details of what Charlton had done to Ingrid would come out at his sentencing. Mr. Charlton intentionally and with premeditation strangled Ingrid to death. He placed her body in a bathtub Using a pruning saw, he dismembered her body, severing her limbs and head from her torso. That's Ingrid's family not easy. Do no. you know what a pruning saw looks like? I do. It's pretty small and flimsy. I mean, it's long, but it's usually not very thick. Yeah. That would take a lot of effort. That's why I get back to that thing about was he doing this to you know, outsmart law enforcement. But unfortunately, you make mistakes. You like in the rush of everything, you know, thinking uh, is, is somehow somebody going to come back to the house is, you know, all that all those things play into your mind. I mean, getting away with murder is not easy. I mean, for some people, I guess it's easier than for others. But, you know, this is what he ch the path that he chose to take. Yeah. In disposing of Ingrid's body. And this was so I, I can't even imagine how the family Ingrid's family felt when Charlton's attorney and he himself actually spoke at sentencing. But he does hope that his decision to plead guilty as charged, his decision to actually state out, make a statement as to what happened, that it answers questions for people. I do agree that there are no words that can... He's, he's breaking down here. There's no words that can alleviate the pain that I've caused. And for that, I'm truly sorry. But to answer your question, he never 
is saying what happened. He, he never explains himself. I mean, yeah, you were drunk, but that doesn't mean that you want to kill somebody. I mean, there still has to be some kind of like triggering moment. Yeah, I mean, one could say, well, what does it matter? Because the, the result is the same, but it does matter. I think it matters. I think it absolutely matters. I, I guess we'll never know. And I think that Ingrid's loved one, she spoke at the sentencing and... You smothered her laugh. You crushed her smile. And you left us with the nightmare of the unimaginable. Cowardly, you ran and hid. And when caught, you claimed you did not remember. Nobody believes that story. Ingrid wasn't just murdered. Her body was brutally violated and discarded like she was nothing. She fought to live and you forced her to die. In the end, the judge sentenced Charlton to the max 27 plus years in prison. I'm sure that's a little comfort for Ingrid's family. You know, her children are paying the ultimate price in that their mother, you know, they'll never see their mother again. But the community did come together for Ingrid and her family. They started a GoFundMe page that raised almost $300,000, which is little comfort, but it's something, you know, it it really shows how they... The community cares. Yeah, they really came together. And, And Kim, this case really got people talking about the safety of online dating. And I asked Detective Onishi, you know, what his thoughts were. I come from a whole different time and a different universe there. Maybe you get to meet people and get to know them in a situation where you are not alone with them, where you are with friends, where you're in a social setting, and really kind of get a look at them in a variety of different conditions and a variety of different situations. Some of the dating apps that are out there aren't geared toward that. You kind of worry about if some of these apps primarily cater toward casual hookups, what kind of things might happen out of that? Uh, We've had not a large number of homicides. Most of the homicides we get, people know their attacker before this all occurs. But we've had a few where the outcome of some kind of a casual hookup is something that's totally horrifying to most people and definitely not the kind of thing that we want to see. And and this would be one of those. It's rare, but it happens. Interestingly, one of the most cautious people that I know that I have ever known is my mother. Super cautious, will not take risks, like (laughs) is scared to death of risk. She met and married someone from an online dating site. They ended up getting married. I mean, it's really really what, I mean, it's how else are you going to date? Like people are, I've talked to people like, Like, that's not any better. (laughs) That's not even how it works anymore, though. You know, it really isn't. I mean, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law met and they've been happily married. It's the way of the world now. I can't imagine if I was thrust into the dating world again, which, you know. Cross your fingers. Knock on wood. wood, I know. (laughs) But I'm bum. I would... You know, I mean, that's just the way that pe- it works nowadays. But yeah. it's it's scary. It, it is. I mean, usually if you go through a friend, you meet somebody that, that they know, at least they've sort of vetted them for you a little bit. Or mm-hmm. if you meet in a public place like a bar, a friend's party or something like that, you know, you get a chance to get to know them a little bit before going into any kind of a private setting. Mm-hmm. But like the detective was saying, so often with these online dating sites, if it's a casual thing, you go from never having met them to being alone with them in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And that's just so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
So, Kim, what are you working on for next week? Well, Carolyn, I have a couple of stories that are possibilities for next week that I'm following up on. So I'm going to leave you guessing for this one. But don't forget to go to sceneofthecrimepodcast.com to check out all of our episodes. Also, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call that one, Google Podcasts. We're all over the place. Find us also at YouTube. Just look for Scene of the Crime. I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is The Scene of the Crime. 